Welcome to the fifth episode of the Built Broadcast Podcast. Um, today we're going to be discussing the question, what do we actually mean by blended learning? But first, everyone in the room is going to introduce themselves. Um, so Sally, would you like to go first? Hi, I'm Sally Barnes. I am Deputy Director of Built. Uh, I'm Hilary Griffiths. I'm the Head of Digital Education. And I'm Sarah Davis. I'm Director of Education Innovation. Okay, so the term blended learning, it's been around for quite a long time. Um, Sally, can you just remind us of where that definition's come from? Blended learning has been used a lot in educational research for the last 20 years or so, and it began to really take pace in the early 2000s. Uh, when academic researchers were really beginning to look at different ways that technology was being used in classrooms in conjunction with uh, more traditional styles of learning. Okay, so it's, it's just about having technology then, blending technology with learning styles? Um, well, some authors would argue that a blended you can blend teaching activities in lots of different ways. So you could blend philosophies of learning or different kinds of learning activities and things, but the most common use is where you're blending uses of technology with more traditional face-to-face styles of learning. And actually, uh, you know, a report by I think some of Sarah's ex-colleagues um, in 2006, Sharp, Benfield, and Roberts, mm-hmm. they actually said that although it's difficult to define. Um, uh, one of the advantages of, of the term is its poor definition because it allows staff to negotiate their own meaning. Okay. I think that, that lack of definition is, is almost its defining characteristic. <laughs> it's, a term, it's a term I've always found quite problematic because I think it's so baggy as to be almost meaningless. Um, I think some of the, some of the uses, people, what, what people seem to be able to include in it is anything from oh, the students do some make some use of online resources at some point in their studies, uh, at which end of the scale it's hard to point to a course that doesn't fit that definition, to I think some of the more modern uses um, where they've added a word, you know, things like active blended learning at Northampton, where they've, they've had to be incredibly specific about exactly what they mean and would make the point it's, it's, it's not just about a learning of online and face-to-face or, or online and the physical world it's also sometimes you're in the you, you are together physically and doing stuff online and it's about how you Absolutely. balance activities and support activities of in different contexts um, and then other you know other places have, have developed other more specific definitions because I think particularly if you're trying to drive change at an institutional level having a term that means everything to every anyone is is good as Hillary suggested for and then there, there will always be an aspect of, of having to let people negotiate their own sense, their own meaning yeah. from something. But if, if you're trying to drive, drive change, you can't let those meanings be infinite kind of thing. It's hard to have a strategic direction if you can't def- define what it is you're trying to achieve. I mean, that was the critique <coughs> of Oliver, wasn't it, actually? It's One right. of the critiques of Oliver was... Oliver that, and Trigwell. Yeah, yeah, that was that actually when we use blended learning, we're not actually talking about learning, we're talking about pedagogy and instruction. So in some senses, even with that sort of baggy term, we're, we're not always talking about what we think we are. Okay. We're, we're not talking about students' learning. I think that's true. I think yeah. most discussions of it are about 
teaching or instructional exactly. yeah, methods, if you like, rather than actually about learning. Yeah, I think that is right. I think the other thing that I always confuses me is is that we also have people talking about flipped, flipped learning and all of that, and, yeah. and active learning. Yeah. And it's so. Do we need blended learning? Do we need the term blended learning? Or can we just say there are so many different ways of teaching and learning from either the students or the staff perspective? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's that idea that, you know, um, technologies will become so normalized that you, you can drop the term. So Hinson yeah. and people like that yeah. have written about, you know, that the idea of the new normal. Yeah. So that, you know, technology becomes so everyday that it becomes invisible. And I think we increasingly see from a sort of from the, my perspective, which is obviously working much more with people using technology, that technology is technology as long as it doesn't work, and then as soon as it works really well, it sort of becomes invisible. Yeah. This is the way things happen, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think one of the things that has always you know, driven a lot of the research I've been involved with is, is that, to me, the whatever technology you're using is secondary to what it is you're trying to teach and learn and the methods you're you're using that the pedagogic should be driving everything and the technology is only there as a tool to support now i think that with some of the very new technologies that's act, that role is beginning to be a bit blurred because there are certainly things that you can do now with technology uh, that that actually mean that um, that the technology is is driving some of the learning things, thinking about some, some of the simulations and things that are now possible um, that, that actually really will support learning in a way that the pedagogy it, itself probably won't. You need, the, you need the technology there to drive it, whereas for many others, the technology is a separate issue. I think the, the, the innovation of kind of pedagogy and technology always goes cyclically and kind yep. of iteratively. And sometimes it gets out of sync. And I think we've seen a little bit with virtual reality, say, yep. that, as I think you were saying, that the technology's kind of leapt forward. And, and then sometimes the pedagogy, I don't know if lags behind is quite the right word, but the pedagogy is still working out what the best way to make use of that is. And I think that's a really, yep. I'll be really interested to see whether that, where that goes over the yeah. next couple of years, yeah. really. I was just talking to somebody um, in the chemistry department uh, at the end of last week about some of the the kinds of immersive 3D learning experiences that they're able to support now both for university level and for school children around yeah. Yeah. molecules and atoms that that were just completely impossible so that requires yeah. a kind of rethinking of not just how do we teach it but what about the the ways that we use to represent it's, these things and, yeah. and are they still appropriate when yeah. the, when other ways that are so much more what actually happens are available yeah. I mean that's one of the potential benefits of thinking about blended learning I, I know at Northampton uh, they've um, written quite a lot about the the opportunities for staff to sort of Think, rethink and re renew their teaching mm -hmm. because of the, the the move to sort of active blended learning. So that can be a real stimulus to to give staff the opportunity to change, whether they have the time to think, and mm -hmm. that, you know, and that they have enough support to do that. But there is a real there's a benefit there. I mean. Uh, in 2018, Oliver was involved in some work with Awe, and they actually found, though, that thinking about blended learning institutionally, they looked at, um, uh, they, there was a research by the International Council for Open and Distance Education, and they found that actually 
um, institutions were still innovating around core processes rather than in them. Yep. So they were administ they were innovating using technology and sort of administrative yeah. systems and HR systems. But actually, you know, in the teaching the teaching and learning area, hard harnessing digital technologies was still difficult. And I think it's very interesting that you say all that because one of my students is doing work in her own country and that country actually is requiring all higher education institutions and all staff working in them to use blended learning in their teaching. And they are doing so in a way that says that X percent must be a face-to-face -face activity. X percent must be online. Now, they're not saying what those activities are, but they're actually putting percentages on different kinds of things. And if staff aren't meeting them, those would be grounds for dismissal. Is that what? like the fell tag? Yes. The sort of much, concern. much misunderstood fail tag mm -hmm. targets, yeah, which apparently were never meant as targets for how, how much time students on individual programs spent, spent online and face to face, but were widely interpreted as such. Yeah, so that's, that sector spent a good two, three years okay. struggling and to work out what it would mean to, to meet those targets. So, so the bizarreness in this situation is, is that the students don't actually necessarily have access to the technology they need outside of the classroom. That is quite bizarre. Yes, but this is... A Are they institutional recommendations or government recommendations? This is a government recommendation to the institutions. Mm. So it's a very centralized system. Yeah. Interesting. And do, do they, what definition do they use of blended learning? Oh, that it's got face-to-face -face and online uh -huh. components, yeah. No, interesting. I, I, you know, on, on do we need it as a term? I kind of chose to stop using it about, I don't know, <coughs> probably four or five years ago. Yeah. And yeah. I'm still alive. But <laughs> 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 yes, there have been times when that's been frustrating and I think, oh, you know, I probably need yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but some, a lot of places made, made the move to digital learning. Mm -hmm. But you can talk about hybrid learning mm -hmm. or mixed mode modality learning. I'm not sure any of them are any better. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing because I think when you, what really to me is the interesting bit is what is it that is actually happening? Mm -hmm. What's happening in the classrooms when they do an online thing? Are they doing it on their own individually? So is it like almost like homework? Or is there an actual interaction between between students or between students and staff um, in that online bit? And I think that's one of the things that's not at all clear to me. If we're talking about active learning, then we need to see real interactions happening. But it's not clear to me in the way that blended learning is often used whether whether that actually exists or whether it has a use. Yeah, and that's some of the key areas that, say, Northampton have addressed yeah. in, their, in their recommendations um, based around both, um, you know, peer-reviewed sector-wide research and research they did with their own students on their yeah. perceptions of things like teacher presence, you know, and, and that when, so recommendations like when, when students are working either on their own or groups in, in line, that, that the, the teacher or teacher is somehow present, doesn't have to be synchronously present at the yeah. same time but there is a feeling that contributions to a discussion board will be seen and will be kind of commented on okay and that's the difference to, it makes yeah to make students feel feel seen i think there's a lot of uh nobody feels like 
there shouting into the abyss yeah. you know that you're you're putting effort in and it's it's not being seen and fed back on and that kind of thing yeah. so it, it's it's a way to it's also a way to to drive engagement i suppose yeah it's funny i was speaking to our students in the hackathon this morning and we just briefly started talking about um it's almost blended learning but in the sense i kind of understood which is where students before they come to a class they may complete some work online in preparation for the class and i said well what do you think about that does anyone do that and they were like no we wouldn't do that and we don't do that and i said well do you do your reading and they're like maybe sometimes but it's obviously it's worked at northampton hasn't it well i think it's still early well, days at yeah. Northampton. they're in the first year of actual yeah. rollout this yeah. year they're positive about it anyway I, some of that's cultural too though because mm. i mean i've taught in parts of the world where we've had people who have done all the preparatory work online and you know non-online well before class and you know the, the engagement has been huge but in in britain i wouldn't i wouldn't or the us i wouldn't necessarily expect students to come prepared but people need <coughs> people need practice and yep. scaffolded practice at any different kind of learning exactly. activity i last night i embarked on a new mooc on learning jazz piano and i think i'm going to need <laughs> more scaffolding than could ever physically be provided <laughs> for me to survive that one. But lots of new things about, like, oh, you know, this is the way you print these charts out and this is how you're going to have to view, it, view yep. this type of music. Yeah. There's lots of new skills and, and then that's going to involve videoing yourself, which would be terrifying. But, you, but I think there's also... The first time you experience a new practice, I think it's often challenging for everyone. There's very few Absolutely. people, whether they're teachers or yep. students, who go woohoo woohoo totally different got to relearn the rules what does yeah. good look like in yeah. this context and yeah. and it's it's uh, making those iterative adjustments so that that um engagement is rewarded and lack of engagement is not rewarded yeah. and then you, you hope to build the cohort it's the whole cohort has to take part and, and take responsibility in this kind of okay well we need to do the work online before we come yeah. Exactly. But it's it's really hard, and with the blunt instruments kind of available to us to drive engagement, it can quite mm. quickly lead to all sorts of unintended consequences, like uh, overassessment. Yep. Because you, yep. you you for the for the methodology to work, you need people to have done the prior work. So you start giving credit for the prior work because otherwise nothing works, and and then the you it kind of escalates, and you end up assessing everything before you know it. Yeah. And I think it is interesting to look at the sort of some of the, the you know, it's quite limited research on the student experience of blended learning. The only thing I was having a little bit of a rummage around, and um, I found something from uh, Neil Selwyn, twenty seventeen. Oh, yeah. 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 And so he was he was he was actually talking about the way that students. Uh, identify the benefits of digital or in ways that we sort of would understand so it's the flexibility of delivery you know it's the ability for students to sort of personalize and engage mm -hmm. with their learning and find find their own way through things but as Sarah said you need to have the student engagement to realize those benefits yeah and and, and some of those things that Neil has mentioned or that you've mentioned that Neil said I'll, I'll go back to things like andragogy mm. and and the principles of adult learning um, and the one thing that seems to be missing in that is in the intrinsic motivation that you would hope learners would come come with and if there's intrinsic motivation then they will do they would take advantage of all the other options of flexibility of 
of different styles and all of that. And I think I think Sarah's right that you know we need to help guide learners into thinking about how how to take responsibility and why are they actually here, uh, and what is it they want to get out of this experience, which may then help them take better advantage of whatever's on offer. I mean, it's partly about, I suppose, about their sort of their, under, their sort of meta understanding of themselves as a learner. Yeah. But there's also something about developing curiosity about yourself and about the world and about the subject that you're teaching. Indeed, and that's this came up with the hackathon students last week actually about in, in the terms of well-being and, and student success and that and supporting students to make that transition from a school system at least in the UK where. Um, a lot of those those attributes are really heavily supported in yeah. primary school and then almost thrown out the window in secondary yeah. school and then A-levels, yeah. uh, this pinnacle of, of knowledge-based curriculum yeah. and tell me what I need to do to pass the test. And then yeah. I think it's entirely unrealistic to expect them. Those students who have been trained through that system to come to university and suddenly reawaken this curiosity that, that, that sort of hasn't been rewarded in a lot of those activities exactly. through that time. But on, on the, um, what we know about sex-wide evidence around learners' experience of, of kind of at least the digital aspect of, of blended learning, yeah, the, there's uh, been a couple of GIST, big GIST studies over the last few years on uh, survey data largely, but also supplemented yeah. by, by focus groups around learners' experience. And it is, as, as, as you've said, it's those... I mean, I was going to say boring benefits. Flexibility is not boring, but you know those, those um, more instrumental things, like yeah. students like having access to stuff. It, they, 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 they most strongly agree with statements like, it makes easier to fit learning into my life, which is really important because yeah. if you can't yeah. fit learning in your life, that's a whole group of people who are being cut out of those opportunities. Yeah. So it is important, but the, the agreement rate drops dramatically when, it, when you know, anything about, is this learning it better? Are you learning it better? Um, and, but I think that it's also a judgment that's also so hard to make. I mean, I taught statistics for, for many, many years here, and it's fair to say that the majority of my students were not interested in learning statistics. But many, several of them would come back after they'd completed their dissertations and say, oh, thank God, I've learned, I've learned enough statistics to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when you're in the moment of learning, there are going to be some things that grab you and really excite you, but there are going to be other things that are going to be like the building blocks, and yeah. it's not until you're at a later stage that you realize how critically important it was, which isn't to say we can't engage students in different ways to, to perhaps be more, see it more as fun earlier on. But I think there's, it's a real, it's a really interesting idea about do you have to, do you have to in the moment perceive it as being useful or interesting or is it something that we just have to help people know that there's some, something about delayed gratification. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, giving them the landscape to understand, the sort of hinterland around exactly. the, what they're particularly yeah. learning about to understand yeah. why it might be useful. Yes, yeah. It was briefly mentioned earlier, somewhere talking about um, their institutional approach to blended learning. So what's Bristol's institutional approach to blended learning? Do we have one? I mean, I think, I think, it's, I, mean, I think an institutional approach may be too, too much to say. Okay. We, the university is such a big place with so many distinctivenesses 
around different faculties that I think that faculties will and departments and school programs in them will adopt different kinds of blended learning in different ways to fit their own needs. Um, I'm looking at Sarah, do we have a strategy? We don't have a strategy for, for blended learning. I think we I think we will develop a set of principles and approaches around this over the next couple of years as we look to um, both enhance the curriculum, generally yeah. look at program yeah. structure, and particularly look at what we want provision to be like for the new Temple Quarter programs. I think yep. that there's, think in, the, in the draft ethos for, the, for yeah. that, there's a more explicit focus on uh, using the opportunities afforded by technology as part of that learning. Yeah. Uh, for me, I haven't really, really pushed on it in the few months I've been here because I think it has to be led by pedagogy, had to be yeah. led by what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Like I said, I do think they're cyclical. Yeah. If you've never seen the potential of something, how can you plan for it? You know, or how can yeah. you design a pedagogical exactly. approach that, that factors it in? So I do think you need a bit of push and pull on that. Yeah. But it, I think the, you know, the, the, there's big conversations that need to be had around around assessment and what we're trying to do with assessment and mm. and you know supporting curiosity as Hillary said an environment it's, that that promotes learning and, yeah. and balancing kind of intrinsic and intrinsic motivations yeah. and yeah. that kind of thing and technology is part you know it's part of how we respond to all of that I don't think it drives yeah. it yeah we, we do have the principles of learning that we developed this time last year which are are supposed to subsume everything that happens it's harder to see how I mean those would fit in nicely as things develop through curriculum changes and pedagogical changes and, and things. I mean, I think that we, we have started to think about um, why it might be important and also how we might enable it at a sort of to move beyond those pockets of innovation that we talked about earlier on. Mm -hmm. So we know that you know we need to take a more strategic approach and have a portfolio of activities that meet different disciplinary demands and student yeah. demands. Yeah. We know we need to invest in internal capacity. We've got things like the online courses which show actually if you do in, invest in people that can work with academics and help them realise what they want to do, then that can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we also realise that it can be really important, as Sarah said, for WP for widening participation. Um, in a way that actually almost like that sort of universal design principle where you improve things and you improve things for everybody. Yeah. So yes. I think actually we might not have a strategy, but we sort of are starting to get the pieces in place to deliver on more uh, uh, a greater use of transformational blended learning. Oh, is that is that you coining a new term? No, that's bonk and grain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but maybe for our audience, could you explain a little more more about what that what the difference is there? Well, it's 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 partly what we've talked about before, which is you know how can you get away from blended learning being such a baggy term that it's meaningless, mm -hmm. and it's about using it as a sort of a, a, a springboard to rethink teaching and learning. To do something different so it's not actually a you know it's part delivery mode but actually what, what it's really about is is thinking in a way how you can how you can make the most the best use of your face-to-face -face and your online at time yeah. 
and increasingly, you know, as has been has been mentioned already, there are opportunities for things like the online element to actually really give students a personalised pathway through more difficult topics, by you know adaptive learning systems and data and you know so so actually the opportunities are expanding and I think we've got the sort of the broad ideas of how things might work and we're now starting to see how technology might support us to deliver on to to, to achieve our okay. ideas. So we've got our like guiding principles yeah. and we're seeing how technology can help achieve those. Because the technology is always going to be a moving feast. Yeah. So oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah which is an opportunity and a threat. It's a yep. big turn off for, for staff. Um, um, when I when I started working in the sector in 1998, I saw there's a whole group of staff who were like yesterday's innovators who'd built really cool stuff in I can't remember what it was, Shockwave or something, um, <laughs> and it wasn't that but I can't remember the proper the, the name for it, and and were really upset that whatever they'd authorware it was, yeah. and whatever they this stuff they'd written that that technology was now being. Um, discontinued yeah. and they were if they wanted to carry on they had to learn something else and a lot of those would have just stopped would have not engaged I did that it was really really hard work I've got over the hump I'm feeling I'm in that productive plateau with it and um, and and now it's gone everything's passed yeah. me by why did I do that and I yeah. and I think it's and I don't think there's a good answer to that actually yeah. I mean we talk about digital agility or whatever and say well you know you just have to learn to roll with the punches on that but if you every everybody has only got a limited set of time and it's really frustrating to have to to, it, to redo things it's very frustrating I was a whiz at DOS I used to configure <laughs> I used to configure computers all over this university with DOS I could fix anything and you, know that, you know that's been documented now. So yeah. <laughs> and Windows, Windows did me in. But I also was a good programmer in Fortran. Who's, who uses Fortran? I bet you somebody does. I don't know all of these. Maybe she's surprised at how exactly. old we all are. <laughs> and actually we've got it now with the great flash deprecation oh, of, yeah, you know, yeah. and we've, we've, as an institution, talking about blended learning, we've invested really heavily in um, materials to support uh, to certain clinical and lab-based settings, yep. um, and we're having to redevelop all of those into HTML5. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think okay, I think for, for staff it can be really frustrating and feel like they've got somewhere and they've achieved something, and then as soon as they know it, it's onto the next. You're thing. de-skilled, yeah. and and it's constantly working with that level of de-skilledness, and it's not just in this kind of technologies; it's even in terms of things like library adopting a new reading list uh, thing, which which means everything has to be all your reading lists have to be transformed into the new system, and for some staff. That's that's a step too far, yeah. uh, and we we have to find ways of dealing with that. Yeah, I think I think that's right. It can be a real frustration. I think I think there is an aspect though sometimes of a conversation which starts around a technological opportunity or a question can can take you to, to having really useful discussions about say teaching practice or something something that that Trojan mouse effect that that. It's yeah. an it's an opener for a conversation that somebody might not have felt comfortable, ha you know, yes. having. It's probably more comfortable saying, "Oh, I don't know how to work this," or "How do I do this?" Yeah. Whereas saying, "I haven't really rethought what what am I doing in lectures," exactly. is probably a more difficult it's conversation a more difficult opener. One. It and is. so sometimes, as well as being as being a frustration, I think it can be an, it can be an opportunity and a way of a way of looking at things from a new perspective. Exactly. 
And I think there's also, I, I think one of the, an odd kind of problem that we have is, is that sometimes, I, I mean, there's some very good lectures, very good lecturers, and they shouldn't change. What they're doing, they're delivering exactly what needs to be delivered in a way that is very effective, and the students like it. Why would they change? But it's the others, it's the ones who are doing lectures that aren't being well received, don't actually cover the material in the way that they perhaps need to be covered. And that's, that's one of the things. It's, it's using technology for its own sake is a problem. Yeah. We, we should only be using it when it is the right thing to do. Um, and, and if we want to introduce you know, small lectures and, and go back and forth between lecture style and active learning as a way of breaking up a long period of time, fantastic. But that doesn't necessarily fit some of the learning outcomes that are being required. And it's a whole skill set in itself. Absolutely. And this is, this is um, it's not easy. again, reflections from other, from other universities who've kind of gone a, a big institutional push, you know, they will, they will recognize that um, it's, it's not obviously that, that just putting the technology or put restructuring around blended um, is, is not necessarily going to improve things in, a, in every situation. And in fact, you know, there, there are whole skill sets to be learned about both, not, not just the design of learning in that way, but actually techniques, tips and tricks, ways of making learners feel comfortable with it. So it's a whole new yeah. skill set. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so, Sally, give me your one takeaway from today's session. The one takeaway for, for me is that blended learning remains as a, ubiqui a ubiquitous term that we're all using. It is as ill-defined as it has ever been. And the uses of technology and face-to-face -face are, well, are still with us. Hillary. Um, I think we shouldn't shouldn't uh, ignore the fact that however you define it, mixed modality teaching and learning can offer significant improvements for students. Sarah, it's hard to be last. <laughs> I still don't like blended learning as a term. <laughs> Mixed modality learning, I like, I like. Great, okay, um, so we will wrap it up here, unless anyone has any final comments. No, no. But if you would like to share any of your thoughts, um, please tweet us, or you can come and do another podcast with us. So let us know. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>